Welcome to another waskily episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we test the waters of contemporary young adult fiction one episode and skip back to childhood classics the next. My name is Laurie and I'm joined by the freshly tanned Patrick Moon. Yeah, hello. Very brown. <laughs> the gastronomical emphasis on the gas, Brie. <laughs> what? <laughs> and the cowardly but surprisingly hearty Keith Rowe. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've come off very well this week. <laughs> this episode, we're on the modern swing of the pendulum and spend some time, safely indoors, mind you, with Sophie Kinsella's Finding Audrey. Before your lizard brain takes over at the thought of adolescent chick lit and you scamper into the bushes, a warning. Listeners, this podcast is probably going to contain spoilers. How does that make you feel? This episode, we're going to talk about all things teenage, video games, daggy parents, dark glasses, boyfriends, aggravating siblings, and absolute abject panic. If you haven't yet read Finding Audrey, you might find that a useful bit of homework. If you have, or if you just don't care about the gosh darn rules, then lie down on the couch and let's start from the beginning with Bree. O-M-G. Mum's gone insane. Not normal mum insane. Serious insane. Normal mum insane. Mum says, Let's all do this great gluten-free diet I read about in the Daily Mail. Mum buys three loaves of gluten-free bread. It's so disgusting our mouths curl up. The family goes on strike and mum hides her sandwich in the flower bed. And next week, we're not gluten-free anymore. That's normal mum insane. But this is serious insane. She's standing at her bedroom window, which overlooks Rosewood Close, where we live. No, standing sounds too normal. Mum does not look normal. She's teetering, leaning over the edge, a wild look in her eye. And she's holding my brother Frank's computer. It's balanced precariously on the window ledge. Any minute, it'll crash down to the ground. That's 700 pounds worth of computer. Does she realise this? 700 pounds. She's always telling us we don't know the value of money. She's always saying stuff like, do you have any idea how hard it is to earn 10 pounds and you wouldn't waste that electricity if you had to pay for it? Well, how about earning 700 pounds and then deliberately smashing it on the ground? Below us on the front lawn, Frank is scampering about in his Big Bang Theory t-shirt, clutching his head and gibbering with panic. Mum, His voice has gone all high-pitched with terror. Mum, that's my computer. I know it's your computer, Mum cries hysterically. Don't you think I know that? Mum, please, can't we talk about this? I've tried talking, Mum lashes back. I've tried cajoling, arguing, pleading, reasoning, bribing. I've tried everything, everything, Frank. But I need my computer. 
You do not need your computer, Mum yells so furiously that I flinch. Page one. How does that tickle your fancy? That's some very convincing mother voice there, Brie. Well done. (laughs) I felt chastised. Ah, yes. Best stay in between those lines then. (laughs) Thank you, Brie. How does that tickle your fancy, Patrick? Yeah, well, apart from your reading, which has me sort of scurrying away, feeling like I've done something awfully wrong, (laughs) I, I liked the way that the book did it. A good opening, a good kind of hot opening right there, straight off the bat. Here's some action. This is what I've complained about in pretty much every book to date, is that the the opening just doesn't do anything. I I can't remember which one that I was listening back to recently, and I I managed to whinge about it for a good 10 minutes about the the slow pace of, of an opening, and this just is the complete opposite. It's straight into the action, it's relatable, it's completely up my alley. I'm raring to go. What about you, Keith? Yeah, I wasn't as sold. I did like that it cut straight into action and it's a good way to introduce a family unit. But I was a bit worried at how that would play out over the length of the book and whether I'd get sick of the sort of language that it seemed that it would use. Oh, I love the language. I love the OMG to open the book. OMG. Yeah. Phenomenal. I didn't mind it, but I thought it might have been a bit cliched. And then the Big Bang Theory t-shirt as well had me worried again. So I was a bit apprehensive to read on. Laurie, what did you think? Well, given the cover of the book says best-selling author of the Shopaholic series, I was desperately hoping <laughs> for some real magic to convince me that I wasn't in for a world of uh, estrogen-filled pain. When you say that, do, do, are you hoping for a wizard to step onto the scene? <laughs> <laughs> yes, a magic sword, anything. It was okay. I felt a bit distracted by the fact that I'm expecting to be focused mostly on Audrey because of the title and instead I'm hearing about Frank so it was just a little bit distracting I thought the humour in the first paragraph was a pretty good taste of what was to come for the rest of the book the rest of the page I found a little bit annoying yes it was funny but at the same time it's no secret that I love computer gaming and hate (laughs) I hate public displays of family politics just sell the damn computer you bonkers mother (laughs) annoying (laughs) Pushing all your buttons there in one argument. Spoken like a true (laughs) non-parent. What about you, Brie? Sympathy for the mum then? Complete sympathy for the mum. I totally get where she's... Well, I don't know why she's got to the point where she's got to, but I can totally understand why she's there. Mm. And I can't wait to find out more. Fair enough. (laughs) So the battle between Frank and his mother is the background noise to the real crux of the book. Audrey, our 14-year-old protagonist, cannot leave her house. She can't look people in the eye and hides behind a pair of dark glasses at all times. She's the victim of a traumatising, unspecified, but very serious bullying incident at school that left her suffering an anxiety disorder. She's seeing a psychologist, but progress is slow. That is until she meets Linus, her brother's friend. His cute orange peel smile, indirect conversations via hand-scrolled notes, and, for the most part patience with her condition helps her begin to emerge from both the literal and figurative darkness. It's not a direct route to recovery, but love, computer games, Starbucks coffee, and some footsies action help mend a broken (laughs) Audrey and a fractured family. Oh, that was a beautiful synopsis. That is a kick-ass synopsis right there. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm bowing now. Round of applause. (laughs) Brie, how did this come across your radar? 
As is usual on this podcast, we have no problems finding classic books to review. But as the most contemporary of us was born in the 1980s, I certainly struggle for a newer novel every couple of weeks. Actually, incidentally, so if any of these listeners of Seeking Timeness have suggestions for contemporary young adult fiction, please send in your suggestions via those contemporary social media portals. And if they contain wizards or magic swords, you get bonus points. (laughs) (laughs) Double points if it's a wizard brandishing a magic sword. (laughs) Go on. So I turned to Google search, contemporary young adult fiction for girls. Ah, Ah, I saw Sophie Kinsella and thought, that is exactly what those Tumnus boys are after. (laughs) I was about to say, 75% of this podcast is not the demographic that you Googled. (laughs) All the more reason to select it. Also, Sophie Kinsella is a guilty pleasure. It's not the book that you openly devour on a train with everyone taking sneak peeks at your subject matter. Or is that just one of my secret stalker habits? (laughs) But it is that book that you pick up at the airport on your way to a beach holiday because it's easily consumable. The whole Shopaholic series is easily consumable and it's enjoyable and it's lighthearted. So I was quite hopeful that a young adult Kinsella would be similar. Have you read the Shopaholic series? I have read one. I've read the first one, Confessions of a Shopaholic. And it is. It is lighthearted and easy reading and enjoyable. Are they young adult or is this somewhat of a No, no. This is the first one. This is actually her first young adult attempt. Okay. Hmm. And it's a fairly serious subject matter as well, which I quite liked. Yeah, it it, it was indeed. Hmm. Well, thanks, Dr. Google. (laughs) (laughs) There was actually about six or seven that came up regularly in the search and I had a quick look through each of them and I thought that this one was... Well, I actually did pick it because it did have a little bit of that gaming influence and I know that several of my Tumnus colleagues enjoy the odd game and so I thought it would be an interesting look. She's secretly trying to tell you something, Laurie. <laughs> what she also didn't know is that three out of four of the Seeking Tumnus people think, self-diagnosis, that they have some kind of mild anxiety disorder. So <laughs> it's a good pick. Are we going to get onto that later? Yes, or? yes. I'm about to tell you what I think, so maybe I'll get into it. Please do. This has probably been one of the toughest books I've had to form an opinion over because I have so many conflicting feelings about the book and characters. I really sympathise with Audrey. As inaccurate and sometimes dangerous self-diagnosis can be, I decided that some time ago that I must have a reasonably mild but pretty noticeable degree of anxiety. For example, I can't talk to a salesperson in a retail store or get a haircut without breaking into a sweat. Even chatting to like casual business associates at morning tea can turn on the heat. I hate going to big social gatherings, but really enjoy smaller ones with friends if I can be convinced to go. And I'm not one to look people in the eyes, even though they might be longtime friends who I really love spending time with. All that being said, I'm completely able to function, but nonetheless, I felt a deep sympathy for Audrey. Can I just like interrupt for one second there? Yeah, yeah. Just to say that you are apparently to my perception, one of the most socially adept people I've ever met in my life. I completely agree. I would never have guessed that of you, Laurie. Yeah, you might have seen the example the other day, Bree. There was a morning tea at our mutual workplace and when I was cornered by three people that I quite like but I'm not overly familiar with, I was sweating up a storm. They did also back you up against a wall. Like There was no way you could escape their company and their attention. If I'm forced to, then yes, I was chatting to them quite amiably but nonetheless, I still feel that tension. I'm glad I sell it well, Patrick. Thank you. (laughs) 
Well, very, very convincing. I've, I've bought it for years. Right. <laughs> I've bought into the lie of Laurie Day. <laughs> it's the Paul McDermott showmanship in him that covers it up very well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty sure that the Doug Anthony All-Stars were partially responsible for helping me bust out of that a little bit. Yeah, I felt a deep sympathy for Audrey, and in my opinion at least, Kinsella did a terrific job of portraying a troubled teen with a severe anxiety disorder. I think it was this portrayal and the humour that held my interest. There are some truly funny moments in the book, particularly between the clueless but caring mother and the quote-unquote wayward brother Frank. Audrey's voice, her observations, and the movie's script-style pages, where Audrey has video-recorded her in-house life on the advice of her doctor, had me giggling on the train. I really feel sorry for our train line. There's lots of giggling going on. (laughs) (laughs) To balance all that love, there were some irritations that weren't enough to ruin the book by any measure. Perhaps it's a testament to the author that I wanted to strangle the mother because of how irritatingly interfering and misguided she was at times. Similarly, the moments that were intended to make one cringe really did make me cringe, uncomfortably so, like Linus getting carried away with Audrey's progress and unintentionally pressuring her, or the part where one of the bullies wanted to apologise and then started reading some Vogon poetry. Mm. In the same way that some people, fools, can't handle too much of the Office TV series. <laughs> I struggled a bit with those scenes. What else? Oh, yes, her brother discovering a new hobby slash potential career as a chef seemed a little contrived, as did Mum's complete change of heart regarding video games in the last couple of chapters. To go from tossing computers out the window on page one to printing T-shirts for Frank's team at the end of the book just didn't really hit the mark for me. Did I enjoy it? Certainly did. Will I be reading more, Kinsella? No, nah, I think so. <laughs> Would I recommend this book to girls aged between 12 and 16? Absolutely. Boys? Maybe. Bree, I'm really interested to hear about your take. Gosh, I laughed. Thanks, Bree. <laughs> I was sitting reading it on the train on the way home and all I could hear is my own voice, exasperated and not understanding, I don't know, be it video games or any kind of violent first-person shooting and all those sorts of things. I mean, on page 11... Have you played one? The mother says, Why does it always have to be about killing? If I designed a game, it would centre on ideas, politics, issues. Yes! I mean, why not? (laughs) That is the embodiment of it for me. Is that your perfect video game, Bree? That is my perfect video game, Keith. Thank you for asking. Snooze. So, yes, I am that mother. I distract my two-year-old and my four-year-old from problems at hand with Nutella on crepes or whatever's on hand, whether it's a fluttering leaf out of a tree. I also identified with her because I would leave my job, even though I love to work, to look after my child. So the mother in this book has clearly had a successful career in whatever she's enjoyed doing. And Audrey, as she's healing in that process, she comes to realise that her mother has not gone to work for quite some time because she has spent all of this time at home looking after her daughter. And she realises that her mother is potentially putting her emotion and her passion into something else, so into her daughter. And in my opinion, the mother really didn't have a choice because of how unwell Audrey had been and as the result of some you know, fairly serious, apparently, bullying at school. 
And I completely identify with that. There are a lot of women out there who go back to work early because they love it and they shouldn't feel judged for it. And there are lots of women who don't make that choice and do things differently. I just think that I can identify with that particular aspect of her. It was a career that she was really good at, apparently, as well. Yeah, Mm. award-winning. So it was a big sacrifice. I really liked that it captured those aspects of motherhood and dedication to your family and protection of them. And also trying to do the best by everyone, except perhaps herself. So that, to me, perfectly captured the way that I find a lot of my friends who are mothers and myself put themselves not necessarily first, ever. (laughs) And again, I laughed all the way along. In terms of the structure, there are a couple of things that are used to move the story along. Supposed excerpts from the newspaper, like the eight signs that your child is addicted to the computer, which... Audrey herself converts into a a list of eight signs that your mum is addicted to the Daily Mail and that made me giggle. Initially, I found the the video or the role play interjections a bit frustrating. I sort of felt that it interrupted the flow. As I think maybe Audrey got better at them, they also improved. I found them a really interesting way to convey emotion. One thing I didn't like is the way she got sick and basically it almost sounds like this boy comes along and all of a sudden she's better, love saves all. And I just thought that was a little bit contrived. Yes, when you're, what is she, 15, 16, and a boy comes along, they become very, very important. You become sort of very focused and those sorts of things on your potential love interest. But I just sort of felt uh, that maybe they could have played up the friendship with Natalie a little bit more or sort of, included something else along those lines. I thought about that too, Bree. I thought to myself when he started to really help her out, oh, really, do we have to have a boy come along and save the world? And then I thought about it a bit longer. I thought, do we really have to have every chick-lit book be a feminist type thing? Like, do you have to have the female empowering the other female in this book? But they're not. Like, they're not. They're really like that. You have to have a love interest. It's never going to sell, right? So there is a love interest and it is an interesting one and it is a a nice soft sort of romance, but it's not necessarily life either. Mm. He's not carrying the load himself though. I mean, Dr. What's her name? Uh, Sarah? Yes. Dr. Sarah? Is that how she's referred to? I think it is. It was her first name. She has done the heavy lifting here. She's been setting Audrey up to succeed. Yes, but then it makes Linus look like he's the huge hero by getting her to laugh and giggle. And I just... Do you think, Brie, if books were the perfect reflection of our own lives, that that they would hold the same interest that they do? No, I just think that they could have... I, I think that the romance is necessary. I think that's something that we, in teenage years, we want to read about. Mm. But I also think that it is... That there would be a lot to be said for a good friendship. And Mm. there are hints of this Natalie person all the way through the book, but she really doesn't come into it until the very end. She gets slayed, Natalie, with some of the comments Audrey has about her lack of intelligence. (laughs) Yes, she does. (laughs) But it does turn out that they've known each other for a very long time. They've been friends for a very long time and she never really gives her the light of day until the very end of the book Mm. when she's effectively much more healthy than she was at the start. I still enjoyed her. This book will not become a classic. I think... We referred to this in a previous episode about Darkest Part of the Forest, but the things like mentioning the Big Bang Theory and numerous other pop culture references throughout date it. Can somebody explain to me what the T-shirt that Frank wears at the beginning, I mod, therefore I am, means? Well, modding can refer to a couple of things. With regards to video games, modding, you buy a game. For example, a game called Skyrim is very popular amongst modders. What 
modding enables you to do is change the game. So someone will release a game and then the community that buys the game, so the gamers, will create things that change the way the game is played. For example, at a very basic level, you might be a adventurer and someone might make a shiny new set of armour and they release it. So anybody that wants to play the game wearing this particular type of armour can run around wearing that armor on the other end of the scale it can get very very complicated there can be mods that change the way the graphics in the game look so a game that's released 10 years ago could have a mod released by the community that makes it look much more modern or you can have a mod that turns all of the characters in the game nude they're very popular (laughs) god lemmings is a completely different game when they're nude See, now this is another thing I don't like about gaming. Does it always have to be about killing and nudity? Well, you name me three good television shows that don't have either action slash violence or nudity in them, Brie. The Big Bang Theory. I wouldn't say that's in the top ten sort of masterworks of television. (laughs) The West Wing. Uh, He could also be moderating a forum of some kind. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, or modding his computer as well. Yeah, physically changing his computer by putting in neon lights or excessive amounts of fans or something ridiculous who would do that (laughs) (laughs) oh Laurie started his computer again (laughs) you all chuckle and I chuckle along but I actually have no idea what you're referring to Laurie had this modified PC that had a massive tower case and it was just filled with fans so that when he turned it on it sounded like a vacuum cleaner (laughs) <laughs> it was about to lift off. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, Lo, but I don't think you had actually overclocked the CPU. No, I hadn't. I was too scared. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. All right, carry on. I really enjoyed it. Will you read more, Kinsella? Next time I'm on a beach holiday, heck yes. What about you, Keith? Is this book Mr. Stink in Disguise? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I take exception. <laughs> I'm trying to connect. Here we go. It's another one of these wild (laughs) connections that none of us gets. Well, in this case, (laughs) rather than Mr. Stink being a pongy tramp, he's a debilitating mental illness. Oh, Oh, we're getting very deep here. (laughs) The result is the same. Maybe Mr. Stink was a mental illness in Mr. Stink. My mind is blowing. (laughs) By the end, just like Mr. Stink, the family unit was in harmony. Everyone had realised the error of their ways and something a little stanky wandered off to afflict somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> now, it probably sounds like I'm downplaying her affliction here and I'm not, at least not intentionally, because I think that was really one of the strengths of the book, the fact that they deal with this mental illness in a real and demystifying manner, because we have the family where everyone in the family deals with things in their own ways, particularly the mother who... Everyone would agree that her intentions are good, but her actual execution is not so much. The failure to communicate in the family unit is probably the biggest impediment, and it's ultimately the culmination of the drama in the book when Audrey goes missing that brings the family back together and opens those communication channels and allows them to conquer their issues collectively and individually. I like that we see Audrey's internal struggle and we can sort of understand how her brain works and doesn't work and how it causes her to act in stressful situations. That was interesting. She refers to her lizard brain several times as basically her instincts taking over and she is learning through her therapist to suppress those instincts in such situations. And as the book goes on, she does a good job of that. I like the introduction of the camera as a way to foster her interactions with people. 
firstly with her family and then beyond. In the context of the book, it added a degree of quirkiness and it prompted some amusing performances from the family, the mother and the father in particular, when they weren't maybe aware that the camera was on. Mm, They were great. That made me laugh so much. (laughs) (laughs) Reading some of the reviews of this online, there's a few perceived weaknesses of the book or some criticisms. The main one that I saw was that it doesn't accurately portray anxiety. The problem with this opinion is that it really is difficult to portray something that manifests itself differently in everyone. My favourite character in the book was Frank. I didn't necessarily associate with him directly, though I've played my fair share of video games in the past, but I liked the general cut of his jib. He always did play as though he was the master of his universe. And as we learnt, oh, is that they're, a... they're getting they're very subtle sort of <laughs> dropping sort of references. Not subtle enough to get away with it though. Yeah, <laughs> as we came to learn, you think you can slip this shit under the radar? <laughs> I don't think I can slip it under the radar because as we came to learn, there were certainly some skeletons in his closet. <laughs> and... <laughs> Ouch, my spleen! <laughs> it took an assembly of his cohorts to bring this realization to him, but it did come. The least favourite parts I had were the constantly impending drama. We knew that some dramatic incident was going to happen. You have Audrey saying things like, well, I've had all my setbacks. I look at her stonily. I've done setbacks, okay? I'm just not having any more. It's not happening. When, of course, we know... Well, you may as well critique narrative structure from the 1600s (laughs) onwards. Like, this is how a book is written. This is the second act, man. It is. And maybe I would have been able to forgive it if it was as dramatic as it had sort of implied it would be because it came and it was a bit of a fizzer for me. What happened is Audrey and Linus had a bit of a falling out over Audrey planning on confronting one of her bullies that evening, I think it was. Audrey had messaged Linus to apologise maybe for her actions and Linus's phone played up and he didn't respond and normally he responds quite quickly. So Audrey got herself into a state, panicked and ran away. Which might be realistic, but it was... Realistic, yeah. She didn't run away, did she? I thought she dosed herself up on drugs, went for a walk and then passed out in the park under a bush or something. Yeah, I, I think she potentially overdosed a bit. Yeah. So running away probably is downplaying it a little bit. Yeah, I think you're fairly flippant with the gravity of <laughs> <laughs> the meltdown there. That activated the whole family to go out and search for her and a mild panic. But yeah, right, it did fizzle a little bit. Yeah. Even the confrontation with the bully was a bit of a fizzer, I thought. I mean, the Vogon poetry aside, that's the girl who had done part of the bullying. She'd had some issues herself. She'd been off to see a psychiatrist or or whatever, and her psychiatrist, it didn't sound anywhere as good as Audrey's, advised that she should write some poetry and read it out to her victim, Mm. and it was cringeworthy, and they got up and left. But I thought it would have a bit more fireworks than that, but I guess that was the intention that... Audrey decided that she was done with this and wanted to move on. Yeah, I really liked Frank's involvement in that situation, even though he sort of facilitated it under the radar from the parents. Guys of his dad. Yeah, that's right, pretending to be the dad. He was really looking after Audrey there. He thought it was best for her to do that, and as soon as he realised that it wasn't, he whisked her out of there and really showed, even though he'd sort of been a bit vacant in looking after her in other aspects, it showed that he really did have a care for her. And I think it just shows, again, the way that different members of the family deal with things in different ways, but ultimately always have their best interests at heart. It was nice. Mm, He had been a bit self-obsessed, but in that moment, he really cared about his sister and looked after her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Bree, were you saying something? I still think that there were touches of him right the way throughout where he was 
clearly caring about his sister. I mean, he was never dismissive of her illness. He was always very supportive. I just think he's a teenage boy. Yeah. Like He's not going to spend his days worrying about his sister. He's going to get on with his life. And he wasn't ever dismissive of her needing to wear her dark glasses or anything like that. He was always very supportive. Yeah, I think he supported her by being kind of the opposite to the mother in that he didn't pander to her or didn't pressure on her or yeah. anything like that. He was supportive, but behind the scenes supportive. And her relationship with her little brother, Felix, who's only four, I think, was nice as well, you know. Did you say fudge? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so she was actually able to look at him in the eye. A a four-year-old is obviously innocent enough, maybe, for her to be able to not have to wear her glasses when she's talking to him. Mm. It was nice. Another thing I just thought of that I didn't like is the father in this book. It's not that I don't like the father. I don't like the way he's written. He's pretty absent and distracted and doesn't really help out with the day-to-day family aspects very effectively. He's the only one bringing any money to the situation. (laughs) Who else is going to be paying for the therapy? and Mm. Yeah, I thought it was a bit lazy in the writing, but it wasn't a huge problem. Again, I didn't like the way that it continually referred to the traumatic incident that happened to Audrey, like it was going to tell you what that was explicitly at some point and then never did. I thought that maybe was the author playing up to the demographic a little bit so that more people could maybe relate to Audrey if they don't have specifics about the traumatic incident. Many people probably feel they've been bullied in some aspect of their life at some point in time. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. If it's an incident that's so sickeningly depraved... Don't give anybody ideas. No, not even that. It's just that if it's that bad that it's caused her to have this terrible stretch of anxiety that she has to go to counselling for and can't go to school and can't look people in the eye. I don't want to know. Yeah. I don't want that darkness. Maybe. They were probably just beating each other with sticks. Yeah. <laughs> they actually, they doused her in pig's blood at the school formal. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. More King references. Thank you. <laughs> Tick. I didn't mind it. I quite liked it. She didn't specify. I I was interested at first, but I mm. eventually came to a kind of peace with the fact that I I didn't know about halfway through and thought, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter very much. This is the effect that it's had. Yeah. Mm. Almost uh, a little bit voyeuristic in a way to want to push back further and actually see. How dare we find out details of people in books? <laughs> That's a fair assessment of it. It wasn't a huge problem for me. It did kind of annoy me very slightly only because they sort of hinted that they would be filling you in later and they never did. Hmm. I liked that they played Rummy Cub in this. It's a great game for the whole family. (laughs) It sounded a bit crap. No, it's actually good. I like it. It's a tile game. Sounds riveting. Hmm. You have to play it. Haters be hating. (laughs) I like Rhubarb. That was good. Yeah, that was good. Rhubarb being the pet name that Linus gives Audrey because... Because she, like Rhubarb, needs some time in the dark. Hmm. And it was a bit of an inside joke through the book, which I like. So I'll get to my summary now. I read this book. I enjoyed it. I laughed. I think it had some interesting interactions. It touches on a pertinent subject, particularly for the demographic. But it didn't really have any lasting effect. I'm not sure whether that's what Sophie was aiming for. What do you guys think? That's her modus operandi. That it would not have any lasting effect? Yeah. She's like, I'm going to write a bubblegum book that no one will ever think of again. (laughs) Well, I mean, we touched on that with the Shopaholic series. It's kind of that holiday read where you read it, you enjoy it. It's more of a consumption rather than a life-changing experience. 
which is okay. Yeah. Not every book has to change your life. Yeah, that's right. That's why I was asking what you guys thought because it's kind of an odd balance when you have this very serious subject. I think the comedic element was just a vehicle for what is a fairly serious book and one that has a really important message for young people. I don't see that bubblegum element at all to this. That's that's not what she was shooting for, I don't think. But she's also not hoping that you're going to read it 10 times over. I'm not going to pick this up in 10 years, I don't think, and reread it. Well. I might recommend it to my daughter in 10 years' time because it is an easily consumable way to read about such serious subject matter and it's interesting and fun. The way Audrey comes to her resolution or internal resolution, I don't think is something that you could actively encourage or promote as realistic. No, but that vehicle is... It's the subject of this book, but it's not important. What is important is that there is hope, I think. Yeah. My reading of this book didn't change my life, but I think a teenager that is suffering from anxiety and perhaps going to counselling will be having those important messages reinforced by the book. And it doesn't matter that they're not going to meet a cute boy that changes their life, so long as they know that other people suffer in similar ways to themselves and that there's a, a silver lining, there's this hope on the horizon. Well said. Pat, what do you think? Uh, How many thoughts are left? Yeah, <laughs> there's not really a lot left to say about it, I don't think. We've covered some pretty extensive territory there, but maybe I'll comment on, on some of the stuff that falls more squarely within my Ballywick. And that is, the, I, I think that it portrays mental illness in a really nicely normalizing kind of way it sort of presents audrey's pathology as as having a, a really distinct etiology but the way that she's responded to this trauma is so relatable I, I, it, it takes away some of the the mystery surrounding anxiety or, or mental illness and it, it, it gives it a real grounding in the stuff that actually goes on in the schoolyard, in day-to-day life. And it works really well in that sense. And I, I think that that message about normalising various forms of, of mental illness is a really useful one. And her friend, Audrey's friend, Natalie, really embodies some of that ignorance, I think. She's heard that Audrey might have bipolar disorder and so that she, she might be a, a threat to be around. And so it's important that her mum waits in the car out the front just in case there's a, a dangerous situation that arises and that sort of thing. And so what I feel like the essence of the book is, is almost educational, almost trying to disperse some of these misconceptions that exist in the community and exist in young people about what mental illness is, what it's like to live with mental illness and about the road to recovery from mental illness. I mean, which is another strength, I think, in Dr. Sarah, does, does anyone want to comment on that maybe before, I, I don't know, before I segue on to Dr. Sarah? No, I think you said that really well. Mm. I agree with that completely, Pat. I think that's well said. I think uh, her psychologist, psychiatrist was another strength because a lot of the stuff that she talked about and the interactions that they had were really genuine client psychotherapist kind of interactions. There, there was this underlying kind of CBT rationale to all the stuff that was going on. And it was like real therapy. It was demystifying that experience. It was the kind of stuff that you would go in 
you would see a psychologist and you would talk about these kinds of things. And these are the kinds of things that your psychologist would encourage you to do to help with some of the issues that you're facing. And in that way, I don't necessarily see that Linus as this magic cure-all or the, the relationship with Linus as a magic cure-all because there is this really strong underpinning of real progress and real work being done in a therapeutic sense. And what Linus does is he really buys into that. He really hears what Dr. Sarah is recommending. He's hearing Audrey's take on that. And he runs with it. He uses their relationship to help build up her efforts at recovery through you know, genuine CBT methods. He makes it funny, he makes it engaging, he turns it into a game, but it is still, at its core, is CBT work for resolving anxiety. CBT for our listeners is... <laughs> Cognitive behavioural therapy. Of course it is, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's one that's sort of kicking around in the common parlance a little bit now, I think, but maybe it's one that's not reached saturation just yet so yeah <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy it's the prevailing attitude towards therapy really in the current approach and the stuff that they do is it's clear that sophie kinsella has done her research whether she is i don't know I, I haven't looked at her biography whether she's connected to the field somehow or whether she's just researched really well it comes across in a nice simplified way but in a way that conveys a bit of the truth and demystifies everything a little bit. And so if that can help people to feel that they can step up and they can seek out some of the support that they might need, then so much the better. I think the book has achieved a great thing in that regard. The other thing that you guys talked about, I guess, a little bit was Audrey's mother and her anxiety. Her anxiety is what I'm going to talk about. Her her, I don't know, her flakiness, her scatteredness, her jumping from fad to fads and a little bit too extremely getting on mm. the anti-video games bandwagon with too much gusto, I think. After reading one sort of quack article in the newspaper. I don't read her as that. You don't read her as that? No. Audrey describes her as that in the first couple of pages. You know, not only is she going on the video game bandwagon, but she's in the past done the, what was it, the... Not the wholemeal bread, the something bread. The gluten-free or... Gluten-free bread, etc. yeah. What's your reading, Brie? It's just, you're trying to do the best for your kids, right? She's got no work at the moment, which she really enjoys, to distract her energies for a purpose. And so she's got to find things at home to keep her occupied while her daughter is wanting her support, wanting to know probably that she's around. But what can she really do on a day-to-day basis when she's locked in her room just resting in the darkness? She just needs to be around. So what the heck is this mother supposed to be doing when she's used to being so on top of her game and those sorts of things? She's used to being super mum. She's used to getting to work, getting it done, coming home, probably cooking the meals, organising the lunches, getting that useless dad organised. I can completely understand how she's focusing her energy onto these sorts of endeavours. Possibly she should have turned her hand to a hobby or knitting or something, (laughs) but I can completely understand where she's coming from on that. The problem I had, Brie, is I've seen you demonstrate as a parent reading an article about something and then reading further articles about it. When you research a topic that has something to do with your children or just in general, I've seen you look at it from different angles, whereas... Audrey's mother seemed to just take this one newspaper as gospel, and that's how 
Audrey described it. So that's why I, I had a problem with her character. Probably didn't express that very well before, but yeah. But I think that that's just it's just a catalyst. Like you know, we all read these articles. I certainly read them. I'm all about frivolity and easy to consume lists of funny little things that you f- you find on your social media feed or that come up in the Sunday papers in the magazine sections, not so much the important serious articles. Mm. I don't have a problem with reading all of those sorts of things and taking it lightheartedly. Like I'm not going to read the Herald Sun and cut out gluten from my diet because I think that's ridiculous and I'm an analyst, so I read a little bit more about that. That's Laurie's point. Mm. Pardon? I think that's Laurie's point that she seems to take, I think it's the Daily Mail, everything that it says as gospel and jumps from one fad to another Again, with the best of intentions, but just horrible, horrible application of those intentions. I don't feed my kids McDonald's. Is that a fad? No, but you didn't read about that in the paper and then not consider whether or not that article was accurate. But anyway, I think we're labouring on the point. Definitely. Mm. What I was aiming for, I guess, was that there's been this almost systemic sort of trauma, this fracture through the household, and it's clear that anxiety pretty much hangs in the air in this entire household. And so her mother's behaviour is really consistent with exactly the same sort of pattern of not really knowing quite how to manage anxiety, not knowing how to deal with it. It's it's clear that she's fearful for her children in a way, and Mm. she expresses that as best she can through a slightly maladaptive use of the, the fad bits and pieces here and there from the Daily Mail in particular. But I think it reads as real. It reads as an anxious mother who is in a really tight situation and her need to do well by her children and her need to protect them is being expressed in a way that's not ideal, probably. I think there's another layer under there but maybe not one that's quite so blatant or in your face as the issues that Audrey herself faces Mm. so that was just my sort of perspective on it and the very last thing I wanted to say is am I the only one who doesn't sort of cackle maniacally when I read books you guys sound like you're all like howling with laughter to yourself sitting on the train and I, I just never do that I can't I don't think I ever laugh audibly when I read a book it's very seldom for me as well. Like it's only, I think in this book, maybe once I might have laughed out loud and it wasn't like a chortle or anything, but it's kind of just an audible noise caused by something funny. I don't know. I think Laurie and Brie are a bit different from the sounds of things. I couldn't stop laughing. It just made me giggle. I could hear myself. I could see myself getting worked up into like such a tears over these things. I could really empathize with the mother and I, I just found it hilarious. No, I was laughing for the opposite reason. I'm like, what a bonkers mum. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for taking my speech on mental illness with the sensitivity that, that it demanded. Yeah, bonkers, well played. And as we know with Pat, Pat never ever giggles. No, I don't. I don't. I, I wouldn't dare. It's not manly. I really liked this book. I thought it was an excellent book. Thanks for picking it. Thanks for letting us read it. It was sweet. Nice. Well, it sounds like it's that part of the show where we concede that we're not beneath scoring with Keith. (laughs) (laughs) Not beneath it? (laughs) I feel like I give Keith a little bit too much shit in this show, but anyway. Mm. (laughs) Onwards, Keith. I'll keep this short and sweet, unlike the rest of me in this episode. Was this book 
infuriating like a computer maliciously thrust into the uncaring hands of gravity? (laughs) Was it kind of dull to the point where you were constantly daydreaming about Italian cars whilst reading it? That's a reference to the dad who's constantly browsing... For Alfa Romeos. (laughs) Was it an annoying self-centred prick in a Starbucks (laughs) that eventually got what was coming to him? Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> how does this fit into the Goodreads scale? Uh, go on. The Goodreads scale, as I've discussed before with you guys, is completely broken. <laughs> the main part with that one is that he got what was coming to him. It might not have been that enjoyable, but he got there in the end. Was it a cute little shoe makeout session that captured your heart and made you smile on the inside? Or was it eating a coconut ice cream or whatever your favourite flavour is in the park? With someone you love. Brie, where does it sit with you? Oh, gosh. Based on your scale, it sits on a four because I can't say that it was a an infuriating little dude sitting in a cafe. If you had to give it a Goodreads, just a number scale, would that change? If we're going with the actual Goodreads scale, I would probably give this... Can I give it a three and a half? Like, it's... I'm going to upgrade it to a four. It's got to be a four for me, I think, because of the way that it sensitively touches on such a serious subject but does it through humour makes it much more easy to engage with the book and I would still if those sort of contemporary references get updated in 10 years time I think that my daughter and my son should read it. Pat what do you think? Yeah it's a four for me as well I may have had a few sort of issues here and there and and maybe there there was a bit of a bubblegum wrapping if not a a, a bubblegum center to the book so yeah four it did what it needed to do well laurie uh, despite the harshness of the starbucks rating i would probably give it a three i thought it was great i would recommend it to i think i said girls aged between 12 and maybe 16 but For me personally, no, I wouldn't read it again. And there were a few issues with it. So it was okay. Yep. Yeah, probably a three. Yeah, I'm the same as you. It was well executed. It was a good subject matter. And it would be great for the target demographic, which isn't me. And although I did enjoy it, like you, I wouldn't look to read something like this again. So for me, yeah, it's an annoying self-centered prick in a Starbucks that eventually got what was coming to him. (laughs) And I have to say, I haven't mentioned it so far. That was one of my most one of the most enjoyable parts of the book for me. The way that Linus went over and served that guy up what was coming to him after he had trashed Audrey unnecessarily. Yeah, that was good. There were some great vignettes in this book. I think that's one of the points that really shone. There were just little micro scenes that really were filled to the brim with comedy. That was a good one. You're right. Time for the bubblegum rapper. (laughs) That draws the therapy to an end for this week. Coming up on Seeking Tumnus. Boar! If there's one thing I like more than a good fantasy book, it's when there's a fantasy book that uses voices what are all funny like. (laughs) (laughs) And vermin. (laughs) Next episode, we cinch our belts, crack our knuckles, and set out on a great and perilous adventure in the company of mice, badgers, squirrels, and edge pigs. We test the mettle of the inhabitants of Redwall. You'd like to think it was Wind in the Willows, don't you? <laughs> Sorry, listeners. I didn't realise this was going to be animals <laughs> oh. again. Is this going to be like Brog the Stoop? <laughs> yes! Yes, it is! It could be better. Oh, poor Brog. Oh.
Redwall, the first book released in a popular series of books of the same name by Brian Jakes. Of all the books I've picked so far, this is probably the one I've been looking forward to the most. Will our heroes enjoy it, or will I be forced to diminish and go into the West? Until then, if you're feeling anxious or blue, if the black dog is nipping at your heels, or you feel an unbearable burden on your shoulders that just doesn't lift, or if the colours have faded from your life and you're not really sure what the point of it all is, then trust us, it gets better. There are people you can talk to. Call Lifeline in Australia, call Samaritans or SANE in the UK, or visit depression.org.nz for contact numbers in New Zealand. Don't give up. We're right there with you. And we're glad you're with us. Ultimately, Audrey's penis. <laughs> I think the penis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the way Audrey comes to her, what would you say? Penis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man.